This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, folks, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. My name is Sam Caston smith Joining me today is Will Bushman. Hey All right, we're doing something we have never done before, which is a back-to-back episode. I don't think we should tell them that, because what if we're a little flat and now they know? Be looking for it. So this is, this is pressure on us to keep our energy up. This is, but I, I like the way we're moving. Sometimes we end on a plague and we wait a whole week to talk about the next one. You're like, got to yeah, yeah, wrap this story up. <laughs> let's move along. All right. So, but last week we talked about the ninth plague and we talked about, you know, there's, there's three sets of three plagues. So you have one to three, four to six, seven to nine, and it ends with three days of darkness, which is a very, you know, it's taking down the big dog on the block raw. And so three days, the God is dead, right? It's, you know, pointing you to, to Christ. And then today, God's going to come and he's going to announce a final plague. And this one is just devastating. It's, it's going to be one of the hardest things to wrap our minds around. Um, and it's, it's, it's like, man, really? This, this one is hard. This one's hard. Uh, and it's the death of the firstborn sons of Egypt. And so you have to wrestle in this in this chapter with the holiness of God, the justice of God. You have to contend with the wrath of God, which is a real thing that modern ears do not want to hear. Um, but also the grace and mercy of God, because through this, he is going to deliver an incredible salvation and then ultimately, looking forward, we know how the ultimate story of redemption ends, where God, we, we look at this plague and we think, oh my gosh, like this, this is unimaginable, and yet God will take this very plague upon himself when he gives his own son so that his people can go free. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty wild when you start contemplating all that, so let's just jump in to Exodus chapter 11, verse 1, with lots of excitement as though this is our first podcast of the day. The Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. And this would have been like, (laughs) for Moses, like you almost just to have the expectation that Pharaoh's not going to relent. You know, it's like every single time his heart is going to harden, and God's like, no, this time he's going to let you go, and yet we'll find he still hardens his heart ultimately, but it's too late. You and, know, the and if you're gone. Moses, you're probably thinking like, oh, what's, what are you going to do next? Yeah, well, well God had, had foreshadowed what was coming here, so Moses has an idea that this is coming, but now it's, now it's on. And, you know, the plagues aren't like boom, 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 a couple of weeks. This is, this is over the course of a pretty good stretch of time. Um, months. And so when you reach this and you know what's coming and you know people in Egypt and you're, you're, you know, you've met the magician, you know, we get to see the high points, but you got to imagine that behind the, the text, Moses has lots of encounters, right? You know, there's, there's the Egyptian down the road that he, that is, you know, he knew when he was a kid or that his mother knew or 
all of these people that and and he knows that this plague is coming and this has to be really hard for Moses to come with this kind of a hard message and yet he's going to be faithful. You ever think of that? Like Moses Moses is going to know some of these Egyptians whose lives are about to be wrecked. Yeah, it's tough. I guess we never think about that. Super tough. And at the bottom of this, like one of the things that in, in American mindsets, particularly in the West, we have such a culture of individualism where my decisions only impact me. I get a vote. It's democracy. It's all that stuff. In the ancient world, they understood the idea of, of what's, you know, federalism much better. And, and let me explain what that means. It's like, you know, when David goes and fights Goliath, you have one man who's representing all the people, right? And based on how the one man performs, it really impacts everyone else. So if David wins, the Philistines had agreed, you know, we'll be the slaves of Israel. And if, if Goliath wins, then the Israelites are enslaved. But it all depends on the one person's performance. You, and you see that throughout all kinds of history. Adam's sin, one man who sinned. And guess what? All of humanity is now plagued by the sin. And so here you have Moses one man who is bringing the will of Yahweh to Pharaoh, who is one man and the one man, his decision is going to impact everybody under his rule. And so we look at that. And as Americans, we think, I, I don't like that. That's unfair, but it works the opposite way that it's through the one man. This is Romans chapter five. It's through the one man, Jesus Christ, who lives the perfectly righteous life that all those who are under his banner are made righteous and who receive everlasting life. And so that's the idea of federalism where the one man's behavior, the one man's decisions impacts everybody underneath him. And so here you have Pharaoh who's representing all of Egypt. I mean, the same is true in America to some extent. Like, you know, our president can make a decision that leads an entire nation to war. You know, we still have those kinds of ideas today, but in this, it's going to be Pharaoh. His stubbornness is going to bring devastation to his people. Um, really rough. So yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. And so in Egypt, you had a tremendous amount of wealth. Some of that was produced locally, but a ton of it was also plundered from the Nubians to the south and from the Canaanites in the north. And, you know, you had tremendous gold deposits in the land of Shiva. Like there's, there's, the, they've plundered it. And so now you have God saying, you know, you're not going to steal it. You're going to go and you're going to ask for it. And the people are going to be so favorably disposed toward you. Hmm. They're going to be so angry at Pharaoh, so totally upset with the way everything is going, that they're actually going to show kindness to you and give you their gold and silver. Yeah, it's interesting that it's not fear but favor that they have for them. Yeah. Which is fascinating because you think, oh, I'm going to give you my gold because your God seems to strike people down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's favor. 
which is pretty wild. And he had he had foretold this from the beginning. This was one of one of the promises that God first gave to Moses that they would leave Egypt. Remember, way way earlier when Abraham goes and he frees Sarah, and Pharaoh overwhelms Abraham with gifts to where he becomes extremely wealthy. He plundered. Pharaoh. And so in this case, you're going to see the Egyptians or you're going to see the Israelites plundering the Egyptians and leaving with lots of wealth that, by the way, they're, they're going to use, you know, they also get clothing, which would have been extremely expensive in the ancient world. And they're going to use these materials actually in part to build both the golden calf <laughs> and the tabernacle of the true worship of God. So uh, there's, there's going to be purposes for this jewelry. And so verse four, then Moses said, thus says the Lord about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, the federal head of Egypt, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who's behind the hand mill and all the firstborn of even the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, but as there has never been, nor will ever be again, not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. How do you wrap your mind around this? You got thoughts? Well, I'm just trying, before I even wrap my mind around that, I'm just trying to understand, does he say this to Pharaoh? That's the way I understand it. Okay. So, so Moses said, thus says the Lord in verse four. And so all of this is Moses delivering the word of God to Pharaoh, like thus says the Lord. You follow, are you with me? Yeah, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm just trying to get all the pronouns, you know. <laughs> and Moses went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. The end of verse eight, one says, and he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Who's the he? All right, you see, you see right before verse eight, there's the little apostrophe that's like the end of God speaking. So verse seven is the last thing that is thus says the Lord. Okay. And then you get to verse eight and, and it's Moses again and all, talking to Pharaoh and all these, your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me saying, get out you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. So Moses is like, Hey, here's what the Lord says. Okay. Everyone, all the firstborn are going to die. The dogs aren't going to growl. Like there's going to be a distinction between Egypt and Israel. That's what God said. Then Moses is saying, all your servants, because it's counterintuitive, because you you would think that would be God. It's weird to hear Moses saying, they're going to come bow down to me um, and saying, get out, those you and your people who follow you. And after that, I'll go out. And so Moses at this point is like, you know, God said, I'm going to be a God to, to Egypt. Um and they're going to come and they're going to ascribe that to me and beg me to get out. How do you how do you handle the idea that the slave girl is going to lose her kid? That's tough. Is there a way to clean that up? No, I don't think we should necessarily. 
I, I feel there's such a desire in me to make sense of it, you know? Um, but this is one of those passages where you see tragedy striking people. And, and the reality is like, and this is going to sound so cold and so contrary to our, our modern ears, but we hear something like that and we think, oh no, these innocent people are suffering. And if, if God were to, to impose uh, you know, that kind of a penalty on somebody who's genuinely innocent or righteous, it would be really unjust. And that's what all of us rebel in is we want to say the slave girl doesn't deserve this. You know, but again, going back to the days of Abraham, when, when Abraham is like, oh, no, no, you can't destroy the city of Sodom. What if there's righteous people there? And God says, okay, well, fine. You know, I'll, I won't destroy the city if you can find righteous people there. And, and Abraham starts negotiating and saying, what if, what if there's 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10? And yet there's not that many righteous people there, and they're all going to be destroyed. There's, there's going to be slave girls in Sodom you know, that are destroyed and yet they're counted among those that are unrighteous. There's, and this is where it's hard for us to get our minds around. This is going to sound very puritanical, but it's the reality of scripture. There is no one, not, not the hosts of this podcast, not anybody that I know personally, not even like my wife is the best person I know, not even her. There's no one who does not deserve the wrath of God. Can you, like, does that help read this story? Like, even that slave girl is utterly consumed with sin and rebellion against God and the way that she lives. She's deserving of wrath, and we don't want to say that, and it sounds monstrous to say that, and yet that is the reality. We are far worse than we think we are. Yeah, and I think it, this should be waiting. It, right? Very much so. But when we have to wrap our minds around the idea that there's nobody, nobody deserves immunity to the wrath of God, that when he shows mercy to anyone, it's, it's mercy that ultimately he's going to have to pay for, right? Life given to anybody is a, is a justice that Jesus will have to purchase for them, Right? Everybody deserves to die, including us, and yet God showed mercy to us. Is that too crazy? Should we cut that? Like, No, I think that's good. And so what you're going to see here is even the Israelites. I mean, the whole point of the Passover is to, to teach you and to train your mind to say that the Israelites are not spared because they're good. The Israelites are spared because they're gods, right? They, they're he has claimed them as his people. They have claimed him as their God. And there is going to be blood. There is going to be a substitution that has to die, whose blood has to be shed and applied to the doorposts of their house so that death does not strike them. This whole thing is instructive that everybody deserves to die. And the only way you get out of that is if something else dies in your place and the blood is applied to your house. Yeah, and if the people of Israel don't trust God and don't go through the actions of trusting his word and putting the blood on their doorpost, then their firstborn's dead too. Yeah, that's right. And very, I'm glad you pointed that out. So there's a, there's a faith element to this. Yeah. By faith, you avoid the death and wrath of God. But the wrath of God, which we kind of want to diminish and go, oh, it's not real. You know, we'll, we'll make a little of that. God's just, he's my homeboy. He's, there's, <laughs> there's nothing scary about him. 
No, there's something very scary. There's something terrifying about the, the God of all glory and the God of all justice who demands righteousness for heaven and who has wrath stored up for sin. There's, he's, he is wrathful and just and yet outrageously merciful and loving. He'll pay the expense to make sure you don't have to endure the wrath, but you have to apply the blood. And that's, that's kind of the heart of Christianity. And so coming into verse 12, Chapter 12. Dang it, I did it again. Same as last episode. Wow. It's tough. It's like, it is ingrained somewhere in there. All right. Chapter 12, verse 1. Wow. Anyway. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. This is actually in the Hebrew calendar, going to set their calendar the first month of the year. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for the household. So one lamb for the whole household. And if the household's too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. There's a lot going on here, um, but the idea like you're going you're gonna to get your lamb on the 10th of Nisan, which is this month, and you're going to hold that lamb until the 14th, and then you're going to kill it. Why? What do you think? I mean, it's going to get to Jesus eventually. It's definitely, uh, Jesus is all over this. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get to. But like, you got to think about this. If I brought home a little one-year-old lamb, you know, like. Oh, you're going to say the kids are going to start to like it. You get attached to it, which that's, that's not by accident, which means that it's not something where you go pick something random and it doesn't cost you anything at all. And you just throw some blood on a doorpost or you buy a bag of blood from the store, you know, it, it's a sacrifice. And so would this be it's day one? cost you something. Would this be day one and they're waiting to get to day 14? Yeah. So the first day they bring in the lambs is the 10th of Nissan and then they kill the lamb on the 14th. Okay. I just think it's a, I mean, Pharaoh has some good time to think about yeah. that threat. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, for sure. For like sure. he's sitting in that and I, no matter how smart you think you are, no matter how powerful you are, that, that's not going to leave your mind. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, so Nissan was right after the promise, right? So this is going to be the first. So you got day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven, day eight, day nine, day ten. They start bringing in the lambs. Pharaoh's thinking about this the whole time. Oof. All this, this promise, all the people, like they, and nothing. The lamb stays with you day 10, day 11, day 12, day 13, day 14, now you have to kill it. And it's this is not going to be an easy thing. It's going to be a traumatic thing. It's going to be hard. You know, the family is, you know, grown and cut. You're, you're living with this inside your house. And then on day 14, the slaughter. And so what's fascinating about how this all works out is when Jesus comes, you know, he says, behold, you know, John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Um you know, Jesus is going to be the Passover lamb. Paul talks about that as well. Jesus is our Passover. But he comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, right? You know what that day is? It's Nisan 10. 
So here you have the Lamb of God who shows up in the city of Jerusalem where he is going to be inspected by all the priests and interrogated and harassed up until you get to Monday, Thursdays when you have you know the, the beginning of the Passover and he's going to be slain on the, the verge of Nisan 14 and 15. So just like you see the pattern here for the Passover, Jesus, the Lamb of God, is introduced into Jerusalem on Nisan 10. The priests are trying to find fault in him, but the, the problem is, is what? He is an unblemished lamb. Mm. And despite all their wickedness of the priest, he is going to be the one who's going to be slain on Nisan 14, and his blood is going to be what spares the people of faith, which is just the, the way that God has ordained all this. And by the way, Nisan 17 which is the day of the resurrection is also going to have so many Nissan 17 is the day that the, the ark comes to rest on the mountain. Nissan 17 is going to be the day that they go through the red sea. Nissan 17 has so many, it's going to be the first day where they find produce in the promised land. There's so many dates that have salvation associated with Nissan 17, where there's like this new beginning where God has delivered his people and the resurrection of Christ will fall on Nisan 17. It's just God's sovereignty in establishing these patterns is, is pretty, pretty incredible. So verse seven, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. So the, you know, the things that go up and then the bar across the top of the door, blood on all of it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. So in the Passover meal, which they still, you know, they have these components in the Passover meal still to this day, all of them have very real significance. So when you're eating the lamb, it's, it's a reminder something had to die for your deliverance, right? Jesus had to die for your deliverance. Then when you eat the unleavened bread in the ancient in ancient Egypt and ancient Israel, leaven was symbolic. Do you remember this from sin? It's symbolic of sin. Like Jesus is talking about, you know, a little bit of leaven will corrupt the whole lump and make the bread rise. Leaven is associated with sin. And so when you break unleavened bread, what is that pointing you to? The the one who is sinless is going to have to be broken. And Jesus at the Last Supper will say this is my body, which is broken for you. Then you eat the bitter herbs, and the bitter herbs during the, the Passover was to remind you of all the bitterness of your slavery. So when you would eat it, you know, now it's usually like horseradish or something like that, where when you eat it, you can't help but make the face. You know, it's just, gosh, who, why? Do, I still don't understand why people eat any of that stuff. But it's bitter to remind you of the slavery. And so in the Passover, you know, the bitter herbs remind you of the bitterness of your life outside of Christ. The unleavened bread reminds you that he was, the sinless one was broken for you. The, the lamb that you eat is a reminder that something or someone had to die for you so that you could have blood applied to your house and that death would pass over you. All this very significant Verse 9, do not eat any of it raw or boiled, but roasted. Its head with its legs and its inner part. And so the idea of that is, you know, when they would offer a sacrifice, a burnt offering, it, it means that like it goes in and it's consumed 
entirely, but the, the smoke goes up to the heavens. And Jesus, you know, he will, when it talks about him suffering the wrath of God, in a sense, he is a whole burnt offering, <laughs> you know, that is scorched by the wrath of God. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, with sandals on your feet and a staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So in other words, like, you should be ready to go. Like, put your shoes on, get your belt on, get your car keys, have them ready, um, because when I say go, you're going to need to race out of here. Verse 12, for I will pass through, and by the way, the Passover, obviously, you know how that gets the name, any house that's marked with the blood, God's, you know, the, the spirit of death or the angel of death will pass over that house. Verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on, I love this verse because this summarizes all the plagues and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. And what's interesting about that is you know, as much as he's executing judgments on the people, the heart of God is, no, I'm executing my judgment on the gods. I want the people to turn. I want them to see that their gods are fake, that they're futile, that they're powerless, that they're empty, and I'm wrecking all of their gods. I, and then at the end of that, on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. I know we have a bunch of meaning now as we look back, but this must have been weird instructions to get. Big time. I mean, just <laughs> super odd. Yeah. I mean, like, I want you to take some blood and just, you know, paint it all over your house, which has to be kind of gross to start with. Like, Everything about this, like if you, I want you to take the animal into your house and, you know, it's going to be inside your living quarters for, you know, five days and then you're going to kill it. You're going to decorate your house with some blood and, and then the spirit. But, it, but if you've witnessed all of the other plagues. Oh no, you're, you're in, don't get me wrong, but yeah, it's not like a, you know, again, there was a trust still that needed to be established. There's a trust that needed to be acted on. Like, this is what the Lord's saying. I might not get it. I might not understand it, but I am going to do it. Yeah, that's right. And that's good because there's a lot of times where God gives us commands that we're like, oh, I just, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't see the point in it. I don't like it. And yet when God calls you to obedience, even if you can't make sense of it, obedience is the safe way to go. <laughs> Always. <laughs> right. And so one of the things I remember when we did the, uh, do you remember when at the church we had kind of a shared Passover meal in the sanctuary? Did you come to that? Not the original one. Okay. There was, there was later ones that was like bits and pieces of it, but not the full meal. Yeah, I remember, I can't remember which one it was then. In my mind, they all kind of merged together. But I remember in the first one, the, the lady who is describing the Passover meal said something, you know, that since I've, I've read this and some other things, but it was so profound to me, and it just reveals the heart of God. Like, when God says... When I see the blood, I will pass over you. What he does not do is go into the house and, and interrogate you, you know, and say, hey, what, what magazines are you reading? You know, where, where are you spending your time? 
what's what you know have you have you done enough good have you done have you well this is all the bad that you've done and so let me see if you're worthy of being on my team he doesn't even go in the house you know there's no interrogation there's no examination there's no hey you know you either measure up to my standards or you don't he just looks for the blood period and that determines whether death comes to the house or not and that is the sum total of the standard of salvation in this story. Are you marked with the blood or not? It is not about the the character, the nature of the person inside. Why? Because as we talked about, every single person on planet Earth deserves the wrath of God. We are all rebellious, all selfish, all sinful, sin-absorbed. We don't even measure up to our own standards. God's not interested in evaluating you. (laughs) You fail. He's only interested in whether the blood is there. And when you apply that, New Testament, modern day, the same is true. God is not interested in whether or not, he's not looking at your resume going, hmm, well, let's see, you went, went to church 83% of the time, and you know he helped lots of old ladies cross the street. Oh, buddy, look over here. He got drunk on that day. Like That's not the way this works. He's looking for the blood, and you either have it or you don't, and that's the dividing line of life and death just as it was in the great deliverance of the Old Testament. And even thinking it's a household, so only one of you needed to have the trust to put it on the door. Yeah. You know, which, which kind of boggles our mind because, again, the individualism has snuck in. But as a family unit, you just needed one person to be like, no, we're doing this. That's right. Which yeah, I mean, so that the helpless one-year-old or three-year-old, who you know, they're not able to go figure this stuff out is totally reliant upon the faithfulness of, of mom and dad. Yeah. You know, so there, there's a very covenantal element to this that we see that, you know, like you said, modern, modern generations are, you know, I'm individual. How dare I be judged based on the actions of anyone else? Well, the reality is if you were based on your own actions, you're up a creek. Yeah. Like everything is hinging on the actions of someone else, which thankfully our federal head is Christ and he paid it all. You know, there's nobody who gets to heaven. There's no human being that earns his salvation except one, and that's Christ. He earned the resurrection. He had to live the sinless life. He accomplished it, full righteousness, defeated sin and death, and now we get to ride on the train of his robe. (laughs) You know, but we ain't earning it. I, I can tell you that. So he says, this day, is going to be a memorial day for you, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. And of course, God at this time, you know, knowing all of the future, knows Easter's coming, knows Good Friday's coming, and that's going to be the ultimate fulfillment of the Old Testament. All this is just types and shadows of what's to come that Jesus is going to fulfill. He says, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. And so this is another sign. So before this, it's like you had circumcision. Now God is starting to compound what it means to be a Christian. You got to apply the blood. You got you to start purging leaven from your house. And by the way, this is where spring cleaning came from. Did you know that? Well, it's, it's really, it really is. So when, when is Easter? It's always in the spring spring so this feast of unleavened bread that's going on where you're cleaning out your house 
So what they would do is they would literally take out all of their furniture in their house and they would look in every nook and cranny to get all of the leaven out. And it was like, because you did that, it was a thorough cleaning of the entire house. And so it used to be in spring cleaning where you did this super thorough cleaning of your house once a year. And it wasn't to find leaven, but it was the pattern of that where you literally remove it. And the idea behind it is the leaven's not so important, right? Like leaven does not make you unworthy of God, you know, there's right. But what it's calling you to is to exercise a physical demonstration of a spiritual reality, which is this. As you're cleaning out your house of the leaven, you're looking at everything in your life. You're looking at all the things that you do in your house. You're looking at all the things that are laying around or whatever. And it's calling you to remember just as you're purging your house of leaven, you need to be contemplating your life, right? And the things that need to be cleaned out of your life. And it's why, you know, you get Lent that's before that. Well, what is Lent? It's, it's, it's purging yourself, of something so that you try to focus on God as opposed to something else that has your attention. All of this is just physical exercises of the spiritual reality behind them. Hmm. And that's the point of what God's doing here with the leaven. Like clean, get it out, get it out. Look at your life, look at everything that you deal with and get it out. And if you're somebody who doesn't care to you just sit around with leaven, guess what? You're, you're not part of Israel. Like if, if you don't care then you're not genuinely a part of us. On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. Now, stop for a moment and imagine. Remember who God's talking to. What do you mean no work's going to be done? Like, you, there's always, you don't get a day off as a slave. It's seven days of work. That's your only value. And so now you have God saying on the first day of that assembly, stop. I'm not interested in your labor. On the last day, I want you to stop. I'm not interested in your labor. I just want you to come and be with me and to celebrate this new life that we're about to embark on together. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread for on this very day, I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what's leaven, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner sojourner, or a native of the land. In other words, there's going to be foreigners among you. This is setting that up, right? There's sojourners or foreigners, wanderers. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. A lot of, notice a lot of repetition here? Yeah. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, now remember the last encounter that Moses had with the elders of Israel went how? Oh, is this? They, they were pretty mad. They're mad. Yeah, like let God judge between us and you. If God is like right, they're they're convinced that God is not with Moses. So now Moses has to go back to these very same people who have cussed him up and down, you know, and are not not thrilled with him. And now he's got to be their shepherd. Mm. Like you imagine, like man, this calling of Moses would have been a tremendously heavy one. You know, he is not loved by his people, and yet he's called to love them and shepherd them. And so here again, Moses calls these elders who were, you know, cursing him to God. And he says to them, 
Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that's in the basin and touch the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that's in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lentil and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house and strike you. And so it's like he's saying the destroyer. We don't know what this is, if it's an angel of death, um, but it's like something else. You don't want it. It's You don't want it. It's like a spirit of death. You definitely don't want it. You shall observe this right as a statue for you and your sons forever. And when you come into the land that the Lord will give you as he's promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children, here it is again, when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Because this is kind of the whole point of why this statute is forever. You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Remember when God first said, I, I heard you, what they do when Moses says, hey, God has heard you? That same thing. They bowed their heads and worshiped. So they're back again. And then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. They're, they're worshiping. And this one of the things that I find interesting. You know how Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things? Um, you know, he's, he's the lamb that's introduced to Jerusalem on Nisan 10. He's, he's slain, you know, for the Passover, he's going to be raised when they cross the Red Sea. So there's the fulfillment on Nisan 17 and there's the fulfillment of all this. And one of those little details that you see here is that you have God telling Moses, I want them to apply the blood onto the doorpost with his sop which is like it's a plant that has like a bushy kind of thing to it. And like you're not taking your hand and scooping it and just rubbing it on the door or something. It's hyssop. Like it's very specific. And when you get to the New Testament, when Jesus is on the cross and they take the, the wine that's, that's mixed with vinegar, what are, it, they take hyssop what's, and they dip it in and they shove it up into his face, Right. And so there's something to that, like, you know, if, if here you have the Lamb of God that's, that's being crucified on these wooden beams, and here you find these Roman soldiers who ultimately are going to recognize and say, surely this was the Son of God after, you know, the, the earthquake and everything else, but they take hyssop and they literally apply it. So there's, there's an echo, there's an imagery going on there that's saying, hey, this this is the Passover lamb. This is where the salvation is going to come through. Even as they're mocking him, they're carrying out the very imagery of salvation from the Old Testament. And doesn't he reject that? Yeah. Which is interesting because it's in them, when they put on the doorpost, the wrath of God passed over, but he rejected the thing that, you know, so yeah. it's, then the wrath of God does fall because he's like, no, that's not my purpose. It's not to be covered by this, but in fact, I am the covering. That's interesting because, yeah, the wine mixed with myrrh, what the Romans would do is it was it functioned kind of like a painkiller, hmm. and they did it out of cruelty so that you could last longer before hmm. you would pass out or die. And so when they're trying to give it to him, I mean, he says, I thirst, right? This is wine is a dehydrant. Like you're not, <laughs> this is not to hydrate Jesus. 
And mixed with myrrh, it's actually to kind of numb him a little bit so that they can torture him longer. Mm. Um, and he says no. Like, it actually would have been helpful. It would have helped to numb some things for him. And like you said, he says, no, there's not going to be any mercy for me. The wrath falls upon me. Full strength. Full cup. I think the fascinating thing as we're going through this so slowly is, and maybe that's just because we're doing the Next Gen series on Sunday, but how much that the older generations decided things for the younger generations that would affect yeah. their future and all the responsibility was on them. And then even God just over and over being like, no, I want them to hear. I want them to see. I want them to know. Yeah. And so, yeah, the family unit is strong in this book. Yeah. And what you're going to see is huh, not to blow where we go with Exodus later on, but this generation is, is not the most faithful, wonderful they're obstinate. They're they're so unfaithful. You know, God is. They're going to die. And they don't go into the promised land. Their children will, and so they're at the same time where the younger generation is so dependent upon this generation. This generation's pretty yucky, and it's going to be the younger generation that's coming out of this yuck. You know, this barely faithful kind of yucky generation. They're going to the younger generation is going to be the one that will take the promised land. You know, it's it's interesting how this all works out so moving on and in verse 29 we get to the to the sad part it says at midnight the lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of egypt from the firstborn of pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock the pharaoh rose up in the night he and all his servants and all the egyptians and there was a great cry in egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you've said. Take your flocks and your herds as you said, and be gone and bless me also, which is a wild way to end here. But now it's like Pharaoh's done negotiating. He's done saying, well, you have to leave the women behind or you have to leave you know, children or flocks or anything like that. Now he is recognizing total surrender here. And even he recognizes, and, and as much as he would have been angry at God and, and upset with God, he recognizes that God controls the fate of all things. And yet, so Pharaoh, even through his anguish, says, bless me also, as he's you know sending, sending away. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So they, the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up and their cloaks on their shoulders. And the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold, jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. And thus they plundered the Egyptians, which is going to be a big thing throughout the scripture. Like God's people plunder the work of the enemy all the time. Jesus will plunder hell itself to to bring out treasures that the enemy has has stored up and the people of israel journeyed from ramses to succoth about six hundred thousand men on foot so that's where you get if you ever hear two million people came out in the exodus it's an extrapolation from this so you have six hundred thousand men okay let's double that with women and then children besides that it might have been more than two million hmm. Um, and so a mixed multitude, so there you go, All which is saying all races, a mixed multitude went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. So here you have 
the Egyptians that are coming out, the Nubians that are coming out, the Israelites are coming out. Like lots of people are like, that's the God I want to follow. And they baked unleavened cakes of dough that they'd brought out of Egypt for it was not leaven because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. So from the moment Joseph comes in to the moment that they walk out, 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. I love that he calls it hosts. It's like armies. You know, it's here's this slave army coming out. And it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching to be kept by the Lord for all the people of Israel throughout all generations. That actually makes its way into some of the Easter celebration where after Good Friday you have the the vigil on Saturday to keep watch. Um, there's, there's an echo there. So anyway, the institution of the Passover, verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this, this is going to be repetitive. This is a statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that's brought forth for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. And so if you're coming from the outside, you have to be circumcised to come in. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. In other words, if they're not taking on the signs of the covenant, they cannot celebrate. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. That's also going to be a prophecy for the Messiah, not one of his bones shall be broken because he's the lamb of God and Jesus will not have any of his bones broken. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. In other words, if you take on the covenant sign, you're one of us, right? There's, there's no distinction but no uncircumcised person shall eat it. There shall be one law for the native and one for the stranger who sojourns among you. And so circumcision marks whether or not you're given the privileges of celebrating all of the ordinances of God or you have to be kept separate. And we still do that. You know, like at communion, we have to fence the table. If you're an unbeliever, you cannot partake of the meal. That still goes on even to this day in faithful churches anyway. Um, verse 50 we're coming to the to wrap this up. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. And so we are going to stop there mid-journey. So you've got the Israelites, the, the firstborn of dead are dead. You have them coming out, um, stopping at, at, at Sokoth and, and other cities on their way. They're still not to the Red Sea. We're going to get into that in our next episode. But God has done everything that he promised, yep. even hard things. Mm-hmm. And Moses has been you know, in, at the knot of this tug of war. He's got Pharaoh from one side who's frustrated with him. He's got the elders of Israel on the other side that are frustrated with him. And yet Moses is being relentlessly faithful and merciful to both sides. He will plead on Pharaoh's behalf through all of the plagues. And here we see him coming to bring salvation and to mediate God's mercy to the people and giving them the instructions for the Passover. So Moses is turning into a pretty amazing character, a humble guy in a hurry. Um, Thoughts? 
they're not mad at Moses now. <laughs> yeah, not yet. I not mean, yet. They'll be mad again, but in this moment. Yeah. Yeah, you you've saved us and oh, it turns out, you know, the Lord was on your side. You know, it makes you wonder if they think back to those words, may the Lord judge between you and us. It's like, uh, I'm going to take that back now. Yeah, that's an apology. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which Moses doesn't get, sadly. So here's some interesting things, by the way. Um, if you go into the archaeological record, um, one of the questions is, okay, the firstborn sons die. Well, how come Pharaoh doesn't drop dead? Because usually Pharaohs were... They came out of a system of primogeniture where the firstborn son would take over the line of Pharaoh. So that's a question that, that I get a lot or would get a lot. And it's interesting that in the timeline, if you go back and we talked about how Thutmosis III is the, the Pharaoh that Moses runs away from and he goes out and spends 40 years in, in the desert. Well, his firstborn son dies. He, you know, and he was like over, I think he was over the Navy and stuff like that. He actually dies as a young man. And so when you get Amenhotep II who comes in, and that's going to be the Pharaoh of the Exodus, I think, he's actually the second born son of Thutmosis III, which is really fascinating. And mm. then the Pharaoh who, so he's not, he's not dropping dead. But then the Pharaoh who comes after Amenhotep II, and all this kind of fits the timeline perfect, is also not the firstborn son of Amenhotep II, right? Which would be important because that Pharaoh's son dies. And when you go to the tomb, and you can Google this, when you go to the tomb of Amenhotep II, in his tomb is buried his son that, that dies as like a 10-year-old boy. His, his name is Prince Webinsenu. And you can, you can look, and we still have the mummy. You know, you can look at his body, and it's, it's very eerie to look and to imagine, you know, what this would have been like uh, to actually live through. It makes it very real when you're looking at a, a mummified corpse. But there is some historical support that you see here. And, and like we, we talked about with the, uh, the Ippawar papyrus, you know, where it talks about the children of princes, or children of the neck, you know, were dashed and killed. Like so there's there's some echoes that go back to this particular time period where you see something happened here. And the irony is when Pharaoh gave the orders to kill the Hebrew children, he was acting with the authority of God in the eyes of the Egyptians, kill their children. And now as the coup de grace, the, the great moment, the, the worst of the 10 plagues, you find the true God with true authority who's actually taking their sons. Um, and this will become a very big thing when you get into uh, the wilderness, when you get into the law and, and God is talking with Moses, he will say that you have to consecrate your firstborn son to the Lord, mm. which means you know for the Egyptians and their rebellion, their firstborns died as a result of their rebellion to, because of the Lord. But for the Hebrews, you literally consecrate and give their life to the Lord entire, like you devote and consecrate their life. So they live, but their lives are devoted to the Lord. And so God takes claim on firstborns, which would have been radically different 
than everything in the ancient world said, the firstborn is mine. He carries on my name. He gets all my property. He's, and what God is saying is, hey, your firstborn, that you imagine all of your lineage and everything that you'll ever be or amount to and all your genealogy generations to come, I want you to give them to me. Mm. And which is a way of saying, I want you to give your entire legacy to me. And that's going to be what God asks of his people. Like there's nothing in your life that God doesn't come and say, I want you to be willing to give it to me. That's a big ask. Yeah. But all of it, (laughs) you know, he's worthy of because one, he gave it to us. And two, you know, the grave's going to take it all away. And so we need to find a God who can conquer the grave. You know, we need to find a God who can make it to where this life is not just this cycle of vanity where we live slaving away to get all this stuff and loved ones and everything else that's all going to be stolen away from us at the end anyway. And so the safest place you can invest everything, even even your children, mm. your life, your livelihood, everything, the safest place you can invest it is in the Lord. It's the only way anything you do in this life matters for eternity. Amen. All right, so you think we kept our energy up? Yeah, I thought we were great. I mean, that was a, again, we shortened this story so much to like three paragraphs that you forget, like, God's pretty detailed when it comes to Passover and reminding them. Yeah. And like, all this stuff is very procedural in some sense. Yeah, and that, but, but all of it is like, it has a purpose. So it's like, you know, if you're, if you're cleaning your house, you don't think, hey, as I clean my house, I'm going to look around for stuff to remind me of my, my soul's condition in relation to God. You know, you're not coming into a room and thinking through, you know, I, all of the things of my life, you know, that happen in this room, how do they reflect God and my car and my this or that? Like, but God is very deliberate. He wants you to take the things of this world and to be reminded of the spiritual reality that's behind them. And that's why he's very thorough and very deliberate because humanity Needs a lot of reminders. It's not so thorough. <laughs> I mean, if we don't, if we're not disciplined to have habits and routines and spiritual disciplines that draw our mind to the Lord, we are so myopic and short-sighted that we'll put them out of our mind really quickly, really easily, and begin living for ourselves again. That's that's everyone. Yeah. So God is giving here. Here's a structure by which you can remember me and honor me. Like we should be diligent to to look for those things in our own lives because we're just far too weak to be healthy apart from having disciplines and habits. Mm. So, yeah, I love all this stuff. So anyway, thank you for joining us on today's podcast. Hopefully it was a blessing to you. Uh, Join us next week as we continue into the story of the Exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea, which is just absolutely amazing uh, what God accomplishes there. Hope you join us. Enjoy your week. God bless. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater. water.